All right. Good morning, church. Good morning again. All right, time to wake up. Grab some more coffee. If you guys are getting coffee and tea, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're joining us online, uh, we're thrilled that you're joining us wherever you are, Canada, Nebraska, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, California, Arizona, just to name a few places where you're all joining us. We're so excited that you're here. Uh, also want to let you know one of the things that we're going to start as of this morning. Uh, we've been following uh, the guidelines uh, probably the most strict out of any church in the area, but we are going to start letting you, as of this morning, you can take your masks off during the message. Uh, yeah. Or you can keep them on. I mean, truly, like, go ahead and keep that on. Uh, sleep in it. Uh, so uh, we're just going to ask, though, if you get up and move around the room, if you go to the restroom, whatever, just for respect, if you would just keep that mask on. Uh, and certainly, if, if you want to wear the mask the whole time, uh, that is uh, absolutely fine as well. No judgment on that. Um, but we're going to begin to kind of loosen up as the counties begin to loosen up. So uh, that's that. Uh, Super excited to continue this series that we've been in in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, if you would open up uh, to the book of Matthew. If you're new to the Bible, new to church, kind of go midway through the Bible and, and kind of start hanging a right. And you'll eventually find that it's the very first book of what we call the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. Uh, so Matthew chapter 13, if you don't have a Bible or you don't have it on your phone, there should be plenty of Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can grab one and turn to that. Uh, so we've been in this series where we're looking at all of these parables contained in Matthew chapter 13, uh, specifically looking at the teachings of Jesus on what is the kingdom of God. We toss that around a lot. We, we, we refer to the kingdom. But do we really even know what the kingdom is? And certainly this is not going to be an exhaustive uh, teaching over these weeks that we're covering Matthew 13, but it's getting us pointed in the right direction. Uh, Dan and Alex over the last two weeks did a phenomenal job handling uh, the scriptures, so thankful for, for both of them and the work that they put into it. And this morning, I want to ask you a, a question, a little interaction here. I want you to think, and I want you to tell me, what is your most prized and valuable possession that you own? I want you to think about it. Like literally the one thing that you own that is the most valuable thing, okay? It's probably a picture of your spouse. Probably not. <laughs> All right? So, go. What do you got? What do you have, Mark? Grandfather's guitar. Well, most prized possession. Good morning, Brittany. Did you spill? That's the first time in this sanctuary ever. <laughs> what else? What do you have? A podium? A tuba. <laughs> Mr. Smarty Pants. What else? Do you guys own anything? Your wedding ring given to you by the mafia. A little bit. You can ask Alex Amanda that story later. Mom's antique Mr. and Mrs. Santa Claus. You love it. <laughs> what else? My dad's chest from Denmark. Your dad's chest from Denmark. Most prized possession. Any? 
He made a diamond? Oh, he made the ring. Like, I didn't know diamond making was a thing. That's So gra grandma's, grandma's ring that he made. That's pretty impressive. You know, it's interesting. So you guys probably thought of some things, but you didn't necessarily say them for a number of reasons. One, you're like, that's all I got? Like, my phone? My, I have a book that I really like? Uh, for, for me, uh, I've got my grandparents' uh, Bibles, uh, and then I've got even older Bibles from that. I have all my books. Uh, I've got my great-grandpa's double-barrel shotgun. Um, I like guns. And so I've got that hanging above our, above our front door. Uh, I have uh, things that I grabbed during the fire to run off, and, and, and those were keepsakes and, and things that were valuable to me. But I could keep going on and on and on, right? As you could if you were in a safe place of no judgment. And you would start listing all the things that are like the most valuable to you. They might not be valuable to someone else, but you have deemed a value, a price, a worth attached to that item. And it's rightfully so. You should. For us this morning, that's the question that we're wrestling with Jesus in our particular parable of the worthiness of the kingdom of God. And so when we look at this, we look at this treasure of the pearl, uh, these, these twin parables that we're going to read in just a moment. And just like the mustard seed and the yeast that we looked at over the past two weeks, these two parables teach us about the growth of the These work with us on the growth of the kingdom and the value of the kingdom. Because anything that's worth a value to you, uh, I heard someone say, thank you, Ed, well done, my spouse. Uh, you're the only husband in the room that's going to get kudos. But the value of the person sitting next to you. Well, if you, when you're dating, this often happens when you're dating, you want to tell everybody about that person. And then we get married, and it's several years, and we'll get to the spouse, but that's not the first thing we talk about. But if you get like mushy-gushy uh, people who are like engaged or, or maybe just married, and Zach, like Zach will tell you about his fiance all day long, right? Yeah, Zach's getting married. But nothing is more important than the kingdom of God. Nothing. And for us to wrap our minds around that and to hold on to that as truth has severe implications. So if you would, if you're able and willing, if you would please stand for the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 13. We only have a few verses this morning. Starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. That is the word of the Lord for us this morning. You may have a seat. So first, does anybody own pearls in this room? Look at all these hands. Nicely done. Pearls. We're going to get to pearls here in just a moment. So it's important to realize as we get started here, it's not just that the kingdom is like a treasure. It's not just 
that it's a treasure hidden in a field. And it's not just like a treasure hidden in a field that has to be purchased and to be found. It's important to remember that it's this man who finds and then buries again so he can reclaim it. That's the value of what he is discovering. And there's two fundamental parts to this story that we're going to unpack. If you're into taking notes, I'm going to direct your attention to some things. I know a lot of you like to mark in your Bibles or you have journals and you're taking notes. So we're going to unpack this important story in two foundational parts. At the start, the treasure is not in plain sight, but much like the past two weeks that Alex and Dan talked about, it's hidden. And this idea of hidden is an important aspect for Jesus. He made sure very intentionally throughout several of these parables to highlight the importance that something is hidden and that something is the kingdom. Why is that? Well, the value of the kingdom, the value of Jesus, the value of the church is not often seen at first glance. You know this. Some of you have shared Jesus with your friends and family. Some of you have interacted with, with neighbors or coworkers, and you explain the value of what you have discovered in Jesus. And their response is, eh, not for me. Or, or at best, they listen, and they maybe begin to tiptoe into it, and they read a little bit, or they come to church, but it's just not of value to them. And so they go, Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, without submitting themselves to the rule of God in their life. Now, let's not just make it about them. That's some of you. That's me. How often do you go in a given week and you don't even really focus on the value that you hold in your hands in faith? I do it, I get busy. I get distracted, I get in bad moods, uh, I have things that go on in life and, and I can find myself several days later certainly loving Jesus and, and certainly still walking with him, but not in any way contemplating the value that I hold in my hand, the diamond ring created by grandpa, the Mr. and Mrs. Santa Claus of moms, that value. And yet when we stop and we think about it, we realize what it is that's been given to us. Now, to be sure, we, we have uh, several holidays that help us with that. We have Christmas and Easter causes us to pause and go, oh my goodness, the wonder of God it loves me so much. But how often do we do that in a given day? So in this parable, the person finds the treasure and then hides it again. And people uh, sometimes will read that and wonder, well, is what the man did ethical? Well, why do we do that? Well, we, we judge pretty well as people. We're super gifted at that. So we judge the actions of this man because why? Well, it's obviously not his field, so shouldn't he have just gone and found the owner? That would have been the ethical thing to do. Well, in those days, people hid money in the ground. That, that's where they stored their treasures, why there were no safes. So they would always store this money in the, in the ground to guard against invasions. And often, the person who hid the money either died or got too old and they forgot where they buried it. Any of you relate to that? Were you like, I know I put my glasses somewhere. 
right? Anybody? Like you forget where you put stuff? Yeah, it happens all the time. And so sometimes this person would either die or forget, and the story implies here that the person who originally owned the money is no longer around. And so then it is discovered. And we know it, uh, it can't belong to the owner who discovered it because why then go by the field? And so we're left with these questions of hidden treasures, these hidden monies. But what about the legalities surrounding finding this money? Well, back in those days, it was finders keepers, losers yeah, so you guys are sinners as well as I am. So finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That was the law of the day. So if I went and I buried a treasure in my backyard and I go into the kitchen to make myself a sandwich and someone finds it, it's theirs. They get to keep it. They have just discovered an enormous treasure. So the treasure is the finders anyway. He gets to keep this unbelievable treasure. So why bury it again and go sell everything and then buy the land? Why not just walk away? <laughs> if Alex and I were joking this week talking about, hey, if, if there was a million dollars buried in our backyard, our backyard, church's backyard, we probably wouldn't be sitting here right now. We would have a hundred shovels and we go find that million bucks, right? We also talked about if, if Randy said, hey, I've buried lifelong season tickets to the Broncos. It's in the backyard. Go ahead and get it whenever you want and start attending Broncos games. Alex and I would not go, eh, that's kind of nice. And then just proceed throughout our day. That entire backyard would be excavated. We would be digging that thing up beyond belief. Why? Because of the value that is in those tickets, is in that experience, is in that ring, is in those uh, grandpa's guitar. And it's the same with the scriptures. This man finds something so valuable that he's willing to sell everything he had to gain it for himself. I wonder how much I value the kingdom. I, I'm, I'm struck by this passage all week. And I've been struck by addressing my own value that I attach to God and him saving me. Do I, do I look like this man? He doesn't sell most of what he has. He sells everything. Because he has seen the value in what he has discovered. Now, is this parable in encouraging you go home and sell everything and go on the mission field? No. <laughs> it's not the point of this message. It's not the point even of the parable. But the parable is to draw us to a place where we evaluate. How much do we look at the kingdom through our relationship with Jesus Christ and go, that supersedes everything?
And I'll say more often times than not, my life doesn't look that way. I would tell you it is, but my actions and my behavior would show otherwise. If I look at my calendar and how my minutes are spent in a given week, if I look at my checkbook and where my finances go, if I look at my, my time, then I'm confronted. In love, to be sure, but I'm confronted. You know, we, we're going to take communion again. We, we always say, what a gift this is. Do I view it as a gift? Always? Do you, do you view this as a gift? This man sells all that he has to buy the field. And the idea is that this gospel message, this kingdom of God, is so valuable that it's worth everything to obtain. No matter what. And I wonder, are we teaching our kids this value? Because if we, and maybe it's just me, but I assume there's a few of you in the room that are going to join me, if we don't live on a daily basis of the value of this kingdom, how in the world can I expect my sons to do that? Your daughters, your grandchildren, your spouse, the people around you. And so I wrestle with that. Compare this to what Jesus said to the crowds in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. There's some hard passages in the Bible. Can we acknowledge that? <laughs> now, don't get distracted here. It's not that we buy our way into the kingdom. It's not that we work our way in the kingdom or we give enough money to, to get in the kingdom. That's, that's not what it's talking about, what it's referring to is it's worth everything you have to follow Jesus. It's worth your time to be a case manager, to call these fire victims and to invest in them and not just help them get supplies and finances, but to care for their heart. It's worthy of your time. Why? It's the kingdom. It feels so right. And Jesus shares the parable of the treasure, and then he immediately goes on to share about the pearl. He says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned, and he bought it. This parable has to do with ultimate value. We often, we can't wrap our minds around ultimate value. Value. Why? Because in our world, in our day, there's always something more valuable. Someone always has a bigger house. Someone always has a, a better guitar pedal, maybe. Someone always has a better ring. Someone always has a better car. Someone always has something of more value that as a culture we kind of agree on. But here, the merchant in this story is a person who travels for business. And in this particular merchant, he's on a journey. He's on a quest. He's a pearl freak. Are any of you pearl freaks? You wouldn't consider yourself a pearl freak, Alicia? Good. So he's on this journey. He's looking and he's searching for fine pearls to purchase. Now, we go, ah, eh, pearls. Well, in Jesus' day, pearls were of the greatest value. They were more valuable than gold. They were more valuable than silver. They were more valuable than platinum. Pearls were 
it. And so we, if we know that, then it gives us great context for why this merchant is searching high and low for the granddaddy of them all, the one most valuable pearls. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 1 says this, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. This value, this treasure, this gospel, this salvation is a gift by God's grace. And it's a value we can't even wrap our mind around. That's the man finding the hidden treasure. But God also says this in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. You will seek me and you find me when you seek me with all of your heart. How much of your heart? All. Okay. Now, again, I told you there's some hard scriptures in here. How much did you seek God this week? All of your heart? Part of your heart? sprinkling of your heart? Well, I did on Wednesday because that was Bible study. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Friday was a hard day. Didn't really seek him at all. And yet we wonder, well, why am I not hearing from God? Why, why am I not seeing the hand of God in my life? Why, why am I not seeing his great acts? Well, did you seek him with all of your heart? doesn't necessarily refer to salvation because God knows we can't seek him with our whole heart. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Why is it that it takes trauma, severe grief, hard times for us to seek God with all of our heart? Why is it that when times are good, we kind of let that slide? But if our heart is broken, if our life is turned upside down, if we have tears that we cannot control because of pain, and some of you know exactly what I'm referring to, why is it in those situations we seek God with all of our heart? Could it be that those times turn our attention to realize the value that we have? The hope, the help, the comfort that we really have right at our fingertips. Whether a person is looking for God or not, we're all looking for ultimate value in this life. There's a reason why even during uh, a recession, not too long ago, or, or even during the pandemic, or even now during our, our recovery from the fires, Amazon's never been bigger. The malls have never been more packed. The poor FedEx guys and the Amazon drivers, I hope they have great health insurance, carrying in box after box after box. The world is looking, it's searching for that thing of ultimate value. Where can I find it? 
Where can I fill the gap in my heart that so longs for something of great value? Where am I going to find that? And ultimately and unfortunately, many are looking in all the wrong places. And you and I, we do that. It's not just the world. It's so easy for us in the church and go, the world, the world, the world, it's us too. We are looking for for love, for value in all the wrong places. So that's the first part of this story, this search for ultimate value. And then the second part has to do with the great price, this pearl. The merchant's originally looking for the great value, but instead he finds the one pearl of the greatest value. He was looking for pearls when he found this one, and he had to have it. Have you ever been there where you find something, you discover, you're like, I've got to have that? None of you want to admit that. That's wonderful. You find the like, I've got to have that phone. I got to. I, I got to have that TV. I got to have that truck. I got to have that, that new instrument. The What did you call it? The euphonium. I got to have that tuba. I just have to. I got to have the new thing that just came out. We do that on a regular basis. Why? Because we're totally committed. New iPhone comes out, we want the new iPhone. Why? Because we're committed to it. And the total commitment is what Jesus is trying to reinforce for us. So, so what do we do with this parable? What do we do with it for our lives today? And the first application has to do with the joy of our salvation. Alex alluded to this in worship. Man, how often do we go, the word says this, I believe it, that causes me to respond like I got to tell someone about it. So it's the joy of our salvation. King David prayed this in Psalm chapter 51, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of whose salvation? Your salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. He doesn't, it doesn't say, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Make me happy, because I'm a little down right now. No, restore your salvation, and then sustain me with a willing spirit. Why is that there? Because often we're not willing. Let's just call a spade a spade. We're not willing to put the time in. We're not willing to read the scriptures. We're not willing to pray. We're not willing to serve. We're not willing, as Philippians says, to think about others better than ourselves. And so there's a prayer, help me to have a willing spirit. And then God says in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. There, someone's not happy out there. There is no greater joy in life than the joy of salvation. There, there will be uh, fans today on one side that are going to feel joy later tonight because their team will win the Super Bowl. And then there will be several fans that do not feel joy. But even the joy that is felt is not an ultimate joy. Getting the next thing is not the ultimate joy. Filling up and making sure your retirement is all perfectly set is not the ultimate joy. It's the joy of knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and then walking with him every day, good days and bad, highs and lows, and the joy of knowing God, your Father, 
through Jesus. That's what this parable is trying to reinforce so heavily. The second application has to do with the importance of eternal life. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, don't miss this. There's a paradox at play here. Salvation is the free gift from God, and yet it costs you everything that you have. We talked about this a number of weeks ago, this whole phrase of, hey, God's grace is free. It's free. It costs you nothing. You just have to believe. Well, again, I beg to differ. It costs you everything. It costs the way you think. It it costs you your worldview. It costs you your time, your money, your mind, your activities. It costs you. But it's free. This, This paradox. And it's so worth it. What could be more important than obtaining the free gift of eternal life? And then walking in light of that. Does that mean life's just going to be easy? Raise your hand if walking with Christ has been a piece of cake from day one. There won't be a single hand. But it will be good. And it will be of great value. Day in and day day out. Maybe you've heard the saying, eternity is long, so don't be wrong. Anybody heard that? It's a great little phrase. Eternity is long, so don't be wrong. Boy, that'll preach. So we have to process that. There's, there's this reality that life is very, very short. And eternity, the value of eternity is extremely long. Missionary Jim Elliott once wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to read it again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This missionary Jim Elliott not only wrote these words, but he lived out these words and he gave his life for the gospel. He brought the gospel to an unreached people groups all around Ecuador. And in doing that was martyred for his faith and was killed on a trip. But he lived out these words. It's the idea of of storing up your treasures in heaven. Not here on earth. Nothing in this world could be more important than eternal life. It's, It's worth letting go of literally everything in order to gain life. And finally, the point of our parable refers to the surpassing greatness of Jesus. The surpassing greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We read in Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This one thing, this one thing, this is what I seek, this one thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon the beauty and to seek him. Friends, that's our goal. That's what we're shooting for. That's our heart's desire. That's why we gather. That's why we're in Bible studies. That's why we serve together. That, that's why we don't stay in here as a holy huddle, but we go out and we become the church. It's why we want you to know your Bible. It's why we want you to understand the creeds. That's why we want you to grow in theological and doctrinal issues so that you could win Bible quizzes. No, but so that you can keep growing so that you could get to the place as a fully devoted follower of Jesus so you could say, oh, one thing I ask. And maybe you say that once in a week, but the goal is that you could get to the point where you're desiring that every day. And it's a journey. We read in Psalm chapter 73, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. Wouldn't that be great if we could say that on a daily basis? Jesus, I desire you more than anything in this horizontal world that we live in. I just want more of you. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter three, but whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as lost because of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but I count them as mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Some version says, I, I count everything that I've gained as garbage. And I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can go home and look at everything I've gained over my time on this earth and go, that's garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of Jesus. I want to. It, it sounds really good. <laughs> I'm just going to level with you. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I might be able to do it once. I don't know if I can do it daily. The Rowans just finished rebuilding their house over the last, I don't know, 15 years it feels like. I don't know if they would walk in and go, this is just rubbish. That's a giant leap when you just got a brand new bathroom. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. His reign of his kingdom will last forever. There is no one greater than him. There is no one more powerful than him. There is no one that knows your heart more than he. There is no one that cares more for you. There is no one that knows your, your perfect design than him. He knits you together and puts you in your mother's womb. And he has never taken his eye off you, not once. He cares when you hurt. And he cares when you have joy. 
and he will always be. When the heavens and the earth fall away, Jesus will still be there for a new heaven and a new earth. And the powers of darkness, the powers of this world cannot stand up to the power and the value of the kingdom of God. It's not possible. And he will reign forever and ever as every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. He gets final say. And one of the greatest ways that we remember that, the value, the treasure, the pearl, what we have at our fingertips is the Lord's Supper. Communion. Sitting at the table of Jesus. Taking and remembering. Why? Why why does Jesus give the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper? Why? Well, Lots of reasons, but probably one of the most foremost reasons is because we forget. We have to go grocery shopping. We have to do dishes. We have to do laundry. We have to pay taxes. We have to go to work. We have to come home. We have to shovel. We have to attend parties that we don't want to attend. Like We we get really busy in life, and Jesus knew you are going to need to be reminded on a regular basis. See, we don't take communion for God. It's his body, it's his blood broken for us. We take communion for us so that we remember the value. We remember how special this is. And therefore, the specialness of it becomes the specialness for us because it represents Jesus and what he did for us. So we're gonna start We took it last week, we're taking it today, and we're gonna take it every single Sunday from here on out. Why? Because we need to be reminded of how unbelievable this God of ours really is. So that's what we're gonna do. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood that will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, it's a new covenant. It's a new way of doing things. You don't gotta pay a bunch of money. You don't have to go through the actions and and work really hard. You don't have to try your hardest to be perfect. And, And for goodness sakes, you don't have to go slaughter a lamb and go through all that hassle. It's just me. But I want all of you. We serve a jealous God. He doesn't want a little bit of us. He wants all of it. And so as you come this morning, I'm gonna invite you to reflect in this way, the value that you get to approach the table. And then to remember what he did. And then to evaluate how much of all my heart does he really have. Here's the great thing about that. God's very patient. So even if you go, ah, man, I'm, I've given you my heart, but I got to admit, I haven't given you all my heart. His response is, let's talk. He is so patient with us. 
and he loves you so much. So let's pray together. This value, Lord, of the kingdom, this value of, of what we have discovered and what we have discovered is you running after us, of you seeking us, of you literally taking every measure possible on this earth to the point of death to find and to save us. And we admit that often we go through a given day, a given week, and we just, we just do not dwell on the value of our salvation. And so we ask that you would forgive us for that. Meet us in that place. And then draw us closer. Thank you for the gift of communion. Thank you for the gift of remembering over and over and over and so sit with us in this very special time. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer, forever and ever. Amen. As we get ready to worship, uh, you can approach the table at your own leisure. If you want to go down the sides and come back to the middle uh, to your seat and enjoy this very, very special gift that God has given us.